Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Hey everybody, how you doing? Are, are you alive? Are you awake? That's good. Allergies mean that I am not. Um, how, you, how many of you guys have allergies? Anybody have allergies? I, I'm sorry for you. Um, those of you who don't, we hate you a little. Okay. Um, I do have great news for you, though, today. And I, I know this is a big deal. The really good news is the subject that we're going to talk about today. I know you all love it. We're going to talk about money. Yeah, I know. Did you, did you pucker a little on that one? Did that make you a little nervous? Did uh, I, listen, I understand. Um, don't worry, we're just going to uh, chain the doors. I know you got to go to the bathroom. I get it. Um, no, I know it's weird. I know it's a, because here's what I, uh, listen, if you're here, if you're part of our church, been a part of our church for a long time, you know us. And um, uh, if you're new around here, I, Listen, I know that it can be, the, one of the first things you wonder when you walk into a church is, they want my money, right? That's like one of the very first things. All they're going to do is talk about my money. And here's, here's the reality. We are going to talk about money today, but we're not going to talk about how we want your money. Because um, Jesus, if you, uh, listen, our church, there are a lot of churches out there. There are Bible churches. There are Holy Spirit churches. There, Our church is a Jesus church. We are always going to look at the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and we are going to run after what he taught. And if you just take a, a gander through the Gospels, Jesus talked about money a lot. Can I tell you that? I know it feels weird. Churches, are, uh, we all, do, trust me, as a, as a preacher, the last thing I want to do is talk about money because I know everybody's like, you just want my money. Um, but Jesus talked about it a lot. And now, now what's interesting is he talked about it a lot. He didn't, he didn't, I don't see one place in scripture where he asks anybody for their money. But he does talk about money all the time because there's a reason. It's, it's not because God needs our money, right? Jesus didn't ask people for money. He didn't talk about money so that people would give him money. He talked about money, not because he needed it, but because the people needed to give it. And so that's what, that's the first thing. God doesn't need your money. Can we just all agree with that? God doesn't need anything from you. He has everything. In the Old Testament, it's the, the old way of saying it. He has cattle on a thousand hills, right? I love that phrase. Today, that's kind of weird. But back then, it was like, that means he's like a bajillionaire. God is like, he's got money that you don't know anything about. God doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't need it. You be, and your heart need to give it. And that's what we, why we talk about money in church. It is not about money, actually, because our attitude toward money is a barometer of our trust in God. And that's what we want, I want to talk about today. I want to talk about trust. Uh, we're going to talk about money because money is a huge reason that we hold our trust back from God. And so I want to take you into the two stories today. Uh, the story of two widows. 
Um, and two widows who lived, lived hundreds of years apart, um, but each of whom has something to, to uh, speak to our understanding of the link between the way we view money and our trust in God. So we're going to start with a, a widow that Jesus came across. Jesus was in the temple. <coughs> I'm sorry, not the temple, the synagogue. He was in one of the synagogues, and he was there for worship, and he looked up. So this is what uh, Luke chapter 21 says. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich people putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Okay, you know, there's, a, there's so much in this scripture. We could spend the entire time right here, but we're not going to. Because uh, you may not know this, but at the time, the way that it worked was um, there were these big horns that were where you put your offering. Your offering came in in um, coin, right? And the horn, it was metal. And when you threw your offering in, it made a clanking sound, like a big whonky sound. Not, not a whonk. I don't know what, what the... What, who said whang? That was weird. I, I, think, I, I think I blame you, Alan. Okay. Uh, no, but it made a huge sound. You throw the money in. The more money you throw in, the bigger the sound, the more important you are. Right? And that was part of the culture of the time, the Jewish culture of the time, was, hey, the more you gave, the bigger a sound it made. Everybody knows that you gave a lot. And she dropped in her two mites that tink, tink. That was a better sound, right? That was a better sound effect than poink. Um, she dropped in her two mites and maybe felt a little less than, right? And so she is Jesus. Jesus makes, it, makes his point. He says, this woman gave more than those people gave, right? And obviously, he's not talking about money. But the reality is that the size of the gift, this is what Jesus is trying to teach. The size of the gift is equal to the size of the heart behind the gift. We think that the size of the gift is how much money it is, how big we write the check. Jesus says the size of a gift is about the size of the heart behind the gift. Now, I want to be really clear. Jesus, in this story, he doesn't condemn the rich people who gave, did he? He didn't say anything negative about them. He didn't say that they shouldn't have given that. He didn't, but he just, he was comparing. And for him, he said, I love the way that he speaks it. He says, she out of her poverty. They gave gifts out of their wealth. But she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And, um, you know, I, I want to just say that I think we, we think that Jesus is talking about maybe proportional giving here. You know, proportional giving, there's nothing wrong with it. We talk about the tithe. Kellen talked about it last week, right? The tithe is, a, is a, a, an important concept all throughout Scripture, which is, hey, the first 10% we give to God, right? That's the idea. Um, this woman didn't tithe. 
This woman did way more than tithe, right? Jesus said all she had to live on. She had nothing. And so Jesus isn't talking about proportionality. And I think we get in our head that giving is about paying our fair share. Ooh, that's not what giving is about. And I'm going to call it, if you grew up in church. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, this probably isn't you. But if you grew up in church, the idea is, hey, we've got this awesome club that we're all a part of. We come and we hear great worship. Take us, we hear wonderful teaching. Our kids get what they get. It's like, it's like uh, the offering is our, are our dues. And the dues are, are like sort of proportional to how much money we make. And so we give a tenth so that we keep the, the lights on and all the programs happening. That, now, I know most of us wouldn't say that, but in the back of our mind, there's, if you grew up in church, there's something there. I got to pay my fair share. And then we also think, but they got to pay their fair share too, right? And that's how we view giving. We view giving as I'm paying my fair share. And i got to be honest, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. Now there is a, there is a place for thinking about the, the vision and strategy of our church to reach people who are far from God and us giving toward the, all of the great things that happen here. But it is not about proportional giving. Everybody paying their fair share. That's not Jesus' message here. He looks at the widow and he said she gave more. Because this is not about how much. This is about the heart behind it. Think about a widow at the time of Jesus. A widow has nothing. A widow has nobody to take care of her. A widow lived basically on the, on the goodness and grace of other people. And she had a couple of little pennies. Maybe she could have bought some food with that. And she gave all she had. And the reason why her gift was bigger is because of trust. She gave everything, believing that God would take care of her. And so I, the first thing I want to ask you from our first widow today, do you give out of your wealth or do you give out of your lack? Let me explain, explain that a bit. When you make gifts, if you make gifts, is it, is it something that costs you? Or is it possible that you've, you know, budgeted for, listen, I'm, I'm talking to, can we all just agree I'm talking to me too, okay? Do you budget for God? Or do you give out of your lack do you give to the point where you need to trust him for everything else? I'm not talking about a tithe. I'm not talking about what check you write. I'm not talking about anything else other than when you give, are you given like the rich people? Listen, can I be real with you? I look around this room. I like you all. But in the grand scheme of things, you're rich. Do you know that? You're rich. I I'm rich. And so I, I love the thought that I'm the widow in this story. 
but I have a feeling I am a lot more like the rich people. Again, Jesus is not mad at me. Jesus didn't say anything bad about, me, about the rich person. But do I give out of my wealth or do I give out of my lack? Do I give to the point that I have to trust that God is going to take care of me the way that widow did? That's the first widow with Jesus. Now, I want to like hop in a time machine and go back a few hundred years to the time of Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet lives in Israel, ancient Israel. Um, At the time, there's a famine. Now, we use the word famine or drought and, um, you know, if, if you know anything about the, the uh, if, you, if you've ever studied history, you know that famines come and famines go. And we think of famine in this sort of general, like, faraway idea. But I think it's important for us to understand what it means when there's a famine at the time of Elijah. We're not talking about we have to, um, like, we can't... We have brown grass. Do you know what I mean? When we have a drought, our grass is really brown. Things get really dry, right? We're, that's not what we're talking about. When, when there was a famine, and this famine lasted years, people stop eating. People are dying. I mean, a lot of pe- children who almost always would have been the, the ones who were most at risk, Children were dying all over the place. It's an ugly moment in history. And, um, and Elijah is being taken to, <coughs> to all these different places. God is taking care of Elijah. God, God is, he took him to this brook where there, there was still water there and the birds would bring him stuff to eat. And God said, and the brook dried up and Elijah's like, where do you want me to do now, God? And God says, I want you to go to this place, this, this place outside of Israel. I want you to go to this pagan place where there's a woman in the city of Zarephath, that I want you to go. She's a widow, and she's going to take care of you. So Elijah goes, and he, and he meets this widow. And he sees her, and he says, hey, um, can you bring me some water? And she says, okay. And so she goes, and he says, you know what? Before you bring me water, could you also bring me, I'm hungry. Could you bring me some uh, some bread, like just make some bread, bring me a little piece of bread and some water. And she, <laughs> she says this um, to Elijah. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, everybody say behold. Behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I might go in and prepare for me and my son that we might eat it and die. Okay, can we just take a moment and live in the, in the shoes of this woman? It's her and it's her son. And she literally is about to make their last meal. She's, about, she's gone out. She's going to gather some sticks. I mean, can you imagine what... The, she knew this was coming, right? 
very slowly over the course of time, the flour is going away. The oil is going away. There's no more food left and she knows she's getting, and now she is down to the last tiny little bit and she knows this is going to be it for her. And maybe she doesn't even care about herself, but for her son. And they are going to eat it and then starve to death. Can you imagine the feelings of this woman? This, is, this wasn't just some nameless face. This was a, a person that Elijah got to meet. And you want to talk about, I, we use the word desperate a lot. Um, I'm desperate when I have to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> you know? Uh, you want to talk about desperate? This. This is desperate. I'm going to make this final little meal for my son and myself, and then we're going to die. And then Elijah does something crazy. He says, before you do that, before you make that, just make a little small cake of bread for me. And um, can you imagine her in that moment? How freaking dare you? You know what I'm saying? Like, how dare you? I literally just bared my soul to you. How dare you ask me to give you some of the last meal for my son and myself? I, I want to go back to that word behold. Um, because the word behold, it's actually in almost no other translation, but it is a Hebrew word that is in this scripture. Most translations skip right over it because she's, she's talking, she's talking about um, that all she's got is a tiny little bit of food. And, but before she says what she's going to do, she says, and behold. And that word behold actually means look at me. Look at me. I just, I can only imagine she's, she's looking at Elijah with incredulity and saying, look at me. Do you see me? Do you see what we're going through here? How on earth do you have the gumption to ask me for something? Do you see what's happening with my, do you see me? Look at me, she says. Look at the predicament that I'm in. I wonder if any of you have ever been there. When you feel like God is asking you for something and you want to say, look at me, I'm a disaster. I don't have everything put together. My life is a mess. My kids are jerks sometimes. My, my, um, my finances are, are out of control. Maybe there's addictions. My marriage is... In shambles, and you want from me? Do you, do you see me, God? Look at me. And essentially, Elijah says to this woman, Trust me. If you make a cake of bread for me before making it for yourself, I will make sure that none, that the, I, not I, the Lord will make sure that that. Flour never empties and the oil never runs dry until the rain comes back on, on the earth. And um, 
and crazily. I, I, you, you wonder, you wonder if, um, if she was thinking clearly in this moment. You know what I'm saying? Because, I, I mean, if you haven't eaten, you're not thinking clearly. <coughs> but what does she do? She does, she does it. Because the reality is desperation Desperation is actually a breeding ground for trust. And the reason is, when you are desperate, you will hold on to any hope that you've got. And so he, Elijah, gives her the slightest sliver of hope. And so desperation in that moment is a breeding ground for trust. And so I just... I bring that up because here's the reality. You and I are often trust-deprived because we can take care of ourselves. Because desperation rarely rears its head in our lives. Let's be real. We have, because we're rich, did we mention we're rich? All right. Because we can take care of ourselves, We never find ourselves desperate. And so trust is something that we struggle with. Why do I need to trust God when I can take care of myself? But can I tell you this? When you come to church and you want to be what God wants you to be, you want to do what God wants you to do, can I be honest with you? In that, trust is everything. What God wants from you is not, is not just the person who comes to church and pays their 10% and, and pays their fair share and uh, serves. And God is, all of those things are a means to an end. And that end is a deep trust relationship between you and your maker. And the difficulty of of living in a place, I'm so grateful. Can I tell you, I've traveled all over the world. It is pretty great to live in the United States of America. Can I say that? It is. Our lives are so much easier. We can take care of ourselves. And it is spiritually a difficult place to live. Oh, not because everybody's against us. It's a difficult place to live spiritually because we don't have to trust. We don't have to learn trust. I can trust in myself. I can go to church and it can all be about trusting myself. Now, I got to be honest. Trusting God with our money, it's why people leave the church when the church starts talking about money. Can I tell you that? When the church starts talking about money, people are, I'm out the door. How dare you tell me what to do with what is mine? And I got to be honest with you. Okay, real talk here. You ready? If you're a Jesus follower, uh, if you're you're kicking the tires, if you don't know what you think, if if you haven't figured it out yet, that's, we're so glad that you're here. And I'm not talking to you right now. But if you are a Jesus follower, If you say Jesus is king of my life, the words my money should never come out of our mouths. I don't own anything. 
If he's king of my life, it's his. It all belongs to him. I mean, he lets me use it. And I've got to have a place to live, and I've got to eat, and I've got to, you know, have my toys sometimes. Do I? <laughs> but the reality is none of it belongs to me. And so when we get mad about the church or the pastor or whoever telling me what to do with my money, I think that should be a red flag. Because if I follow Jesus, it ain't mine. It all belongs to him. Elijah says to this widow, this desperate widow, Basically, what he says to her is, before you take care of yourself, put yourself in a position to need me. Right? Before you go make that last meal for yourself and your son, before you take care of yourself, put yourself in a position to need me. And I think uh, this is what God asks of you. If we're talking about money, I'm not talking, uh, Kellen talked about the, the tithe last week, and, we're, and that's a great thing. I'm not talking, I'm talking about what does it look like? What would it look like for you to put yourself in a position financially where you need God? Before you take care of yourself, put yourself in a position to need him. It's important that uh, I say right here, this is not a transaction. I think a lot of the time we let, you'll get preachers who will get up and say, um, and uh, listen, there's scripture that, that talks about blessing that comes when we give to God. He blesses us, and that is very true. But this is not a transaction. The purpose of our generosity, the purpose of living a life of generosity is not that I'll give to God so that he'll give back to me. It's not a transaction because I'm going to be honest with you. Does that sometimes happen? Yes, it does. Does that always happen? No. No, we are not guaranteed that it's not like this is my um, investment port plan, part of my portfolio. I don't give expecting God to give me more money back. That's not how it works. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. But he always blesses. But the point of giving is not transactional. It's not, we're not paying for services from God. The purpose of giving is to build trust. That's the purpose of giving. The tale of the two widows aren't actually about money. They're about trust born from reliance on God. Um, the widow... Elijah's widow, brings Elijah in, makes him the cake, makes her and her son the cake. The next day, the bowl was, had, had more flour and oil in it and made more food. And the day after, and the day after that, and, <coughs> sorry, and over and over, all the way through, we don't exactly know how long uh, Elijah was at 
this woman's house, but the, the words sometime later come up. So over and over, day after day, they would eat this food and they would eat it down. And then the next morning, guess what? There would be more in the bowl. And God did. And so this woman had put her trust in Elijah. Because remember, she's not an Israelite, right? This is a, a pagan woman. This Zarephath is not in Israel. This is a pagan woman who put her trust in this man who says he's a man of God. And it worked out. And she and her son lived. And it was wonderful. And as long as Elijah was there, the, the um, oil never ran out. The flour never ran out. And then something happened. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. I mean, can you imagine this is this is where this woman is like this like all of this, all of this is for nothing. Like you you came here, you gave me what and and she turns on Elijah and she says, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And, uh, other translations, um, did you come to bring up the fact that I am not one of you? I, it's, it's amazing what this reveals about the woman. This woman who had trusted enough in her desperation to put her trust in this man of God and, over, and, and she had been taken care of every day for some time and then when life got hard again, and it, I'm not pretending it wasn't really hard, but when life got hard again, what it revealed was that even in all of that, she was still holding on to shame. She was still holding on to the fact that she couldn't believe that Elijah actually thought she deserved this miracle. Deep down, she thought he still thought poorly of her because she wasn't an Israelite, wasn't a Jewish person, didn't revere God. And so what's her first thought? You did this because I'm not one of you. You did this because of my sin. The same thing happens to us. Our shame erodes our trust in God. Because she probably doubted that she deserved it herself. The deep sense of guilt and shame in her life eroded her trust in the man of God. And the same thing happens for us. We, we, maybe you have trusted God for a long time. Maybe you have known God for a long time and you believe, you want to believe that he has got your best interest at heart. But then you look at yourself and you think, what does God really think of me? You know, here's this woman. She's being taken care of by God. 
deep down, she doesn't believe that he thinks anything good about her. Same thing's true for us. I wonder um, if you ask yourself, why on earth would God take care of me? And so um, I'm just going to close with four questions that I want you to ponder this week. I'm not, listen, there's no big ask from you. We're not like, I'm not asking you for money. Because the point of talking about money is what does it, what does it do for you? What is it that, that, what's the hold that money has in your life when it comes to trust in God? Here's four questions I want, I want to give you to ponder. First of all, do I believe that God has my best interest at heart? Do I really believe that? Number two, do I actually believe, do I trust God to take care of me? Number three, do I think, this one's a hard one, do I think that God could possibly think highly of me? Because if you don't believe that God thinks highly of you, it is hard to trust that he's going to take care of you. And number four, maybe this is the most important one. Do I give out of my surplus or do I give out of my lack? Am I the rich people who just budget to make a difference, to pay my part, pay, pay my due, or, or do I give to the point that trust is being built between God and myself. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.